Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Put the Stress Down podcast. In this episode, we sit with our good friend Isha. Isha and I are part of the uh, online underbelly known as MMA Twitter, which can be a really crazy and hectic place sometimes. But at the same time, if you find the right people and you connect with the right people, it can be a very supportive place, a very loving place. And she has talked about mental health in the past. And so seeing that and noticing that, I figured why not get her on to talk about it a little more. And fortunately, she was able to do so. And we had a great conversation and she was very open and shared just as everyone is that comes on this show. And I continue to thank them all for being so open, so vulnerable and letting people know that, hey, you know, we've all been through some shit, but together we can get through it so before we get into that i just want to take a quick second to tell you about our sponsors just some people that are helping us out that we really appreciate and the first one is going to be traditional intense and this is a nootropic and supplement company vet owned and operated all natural mushroom and plant root capsules for mood vitality and just overall health so check them out at www.traditionalintense.com and use code vet10 that's v-e-t-10 to save 10 percent we are also brought to you by Wardog Concealment, and you can find them at www.wardogconcealment.com. If you are in the concealment space, law enforcement space, or you just like going to the range and you need a magazine holster or things of that nature, make sure to check them out and use code Extended Family for 10% off. And lastly, we are brought to you by Ray's Energy and Rep Sports, R E P P Sports.com. You can go on there and use code PTSD Pod to save 15% on all supplements and energy. So we have one more ad for you, and we will get to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. I don't know how to fix this when I can't see right through my head. Ooh, ooh. I don't know what I'm doing that can't shake down all this fear and all this damn therapy. It's really just scaring me. Thank you, Bobo. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Put the Stress Down podcast. As always, as always, it is a pleasure to be back, and we are excited to have another special guest tonight. Tonight's guest is an up-and-coming powerhouse in the tech industry and the owner and operator of Craft Shit, featuring super slick stash boxes and other awesome pieces customized. You can follow her at Isha Knows underscore on Twitter and at Isha Knows Craft Shit on Instagram. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Isha. Don't you dare call me Esha to the show. <laughs> oh, hey, thank you. That was like the best introduction ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I accept that. Thank you for the compliment. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm doing really well and uh, just happy to talk to you, you know, uh, just to give people a little bit behind the scenes because I'm, I'm all about transparency. You know, we, we had planned this in earlier time, but it kind of became a time crunch for you. And, you know, we never, ever want to, you know, jam it in there like that. We never want to have those conversations where it's like, oh, I can, but it's kind of under the gun because we always want to make sure that, you know, you're telling your story the way you want to tell it and you're not rushed and, and you're going to be able to do it the way you want to do it. So I'm happy you're here. Yay, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so go ahead and let's get into it. Give me a little bit of uh, background where you uh, where you were born and raised and where you kind of cut your teeth. Was it a, a mom and dad and a white picket fence or what was your story? Um, so my story actually starts, so I'm basically adopted. So I was adopted okay. when I was like two and a half weeks um, and I was born in South Lake Tahoe. 
Um, I don't know my birth parents like whatsoever, but ever since I was adopted, that was pretty much the family that I knew. Um, and that was basically just like a mom and a dad. And I had two brothers, older brothers, and then we were living pretty much middle class, like living in Fresno, California, which I don't tell a lot of people because <laughs> no, you'll know exactly why. <laughs> well, you're not a fan of the bulldogs or what? Hell, I mean, I've formed and like done stuff, you know, back in the day for college and everything. But in reality, I mean, Fresno compared to the Bay Area, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's like uncomparable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that was pretty much like my upbringing, like living there. Um, and then my parents ended up getting divorced, I think, around like nine years old, went to go move with my mom, brother's went to go live with my stepdad or my dad and then my older brother was just kind of like moving out of the house and then that's just kind of how the separation started really right yeah I, i'm also a child of divorce and my parents split when i was five you know unfortunately and that's just kind of how it went and, and I, I it really took a toll on me in my later years and i you know, spend a lot of nights crying and not understanding as an adult man now and living my own life and going through these trials, I understand. But at that age, I was so tender. I didn't understand, you know, was it my fault or, or what's going on? So you being in the adopted position, did you feel that or like, did you feel any additional guilt or anything like that? Or, or how did you handle it when you got the news? Um, I mean, I felt guilt in general. I don't think the adoption at the time, like kind of played, you know, a part in it. Um, I was basically just like a daddy's girl at the time, but I remember that, you know, when they first announced that they were going to separate, I kind of had this whole thing of like, Oh my God, like I feel, you know, not necessarily that it's my fault, but the fact that like, I just have to fix it somehow. Yeah. Um, so I literally plotted this whole thing. Like I literally talked to my mom separately. I talked to my dad separately and like had them like basically come together and like have this huge conversation, you know, with the family and everything. And then they actually got back together <laughs> for a little bit, which I thought was like, Oh wow. Okay. Um, but then soon after they just ended up like splitting for good. So yeah, <laughs> that was definitely pretty hard. Um, but then my dad at the time was just kind of like, gravitating like away from the family so it's just mm -hmm. like he kind of long story short just started like this whole new life kind of like as if you know i didn't exist or whatever but you know whatever um and then my mom got remarried to uh, my stepdad who was like this uh caucasian man from texas and like he was super religious and like we ended up moving to santa cruz and i don't know from there it was just kind of like hell honestly <laughs> like he was probably like the only person that I really hate in my life so I right. think just kind of up and then my mom ended up getting sick during that time also um it was definitely like really hard because my mom ended up passing away at like 14 but like we had to go through the whole process of like hospitals and you know things like that chemo um, and then we ended up getting like a, uh, like a hospital bed inside of the house so we can like care for her inside. Wow. Um, and then sad story, she ended up like passing away, like in the house. Um, like it's super, not going to lie, like really traumatic, but I literally of course, saw of course. the way was in like a body bag, like right outside the door, like when I was like 14 years old. So it's just kind of like, you know, I wouldn't want to put that on anyone, but I definitely experienced like insane amount of trauma, like when I was in those years, for sure. Um, and then when my mom had her funeral, I didn't go to the funeral 
just because, you know, at that age and everything, it was just really like too much for me. Um, and then since I didn't go to the funeral, my family pretty much like shamed me for it. Like my dad, my brothers and like other families like outside of that. Um, and then that was pretty much like the last time I've like really ever like had a true relationship with my family. And like ever since then, it's just kind of been like separated with my stepdad and then I detached from him and then moved to the Bay with some family friends. And then that's kind of like where I pushed all of that out and just kind of created my whole new life, <laughs> right. which weird way I have no regrets now, obviously, but you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, it's yeah. not. Um, so definitely not for the average bear, but you know, at the same time, it was my life. I'm very happy to be alive, like throughout the whole thing. But you know, it is what it is. I go back and change anything. Sadly, I mean, maybe keep my mom alive, but other than that, with relationships, my family, brothers, things like that, like no, like I'm good, honestly. <laughs> yeah, of course. And so all this, you know, uh, I'm sorry. I know I was going to say in like kind of a weird way, it is a little bit weird and it might seem a little bit messed up just because I am adopted and like none of these people are my blood family. And I kind of understand it's like when you're adopted, it's like, you know, you're not supposed to look at that. Your family's your family, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, that was really like my number one thing to like actually detach like from the toxicity was like, holy crap, I'm actually like not blood related to these people, you know, as messed up as that is. But that really was like a defining factor of me, like actually healing through the cutoff of that family. So, wow. And so this was, this was all at 14. Uh, yeah, basically so, like pretty much throughout like the years of starting at like age 14 for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's just, you know, I think our childhood and the things we go through that, that those are the critical years, you know, yes, we grow up and we, and we live and we experience, but our first kind of taste of the world and what it is are those early years. And, and so now at, at 14, you've gone through adoption, divorce, death of your mother, a, a hell of a stepfather. How are you handling all this at 14? Is there, was there, was mental health something that was talked about in or around your your area or was there somebody that you had to speak to or did you just kind of gut it and say you know what this is what it is and I'm gonna just rock with it at 14 years old um <clears throat> I mean it wasn't necessarily talked about but it wasn't like not talked about like it wasn't anything that was like shunned but it wasn't like anything that you know my parents were like okay this is like what it is I remember like when my mom passed, my stepdad wanted me to like get into counseling. But during that time, I was just like, you know, I don't really feel comfortable talking to people. And then I ended up, you know, giving in and like going to some counseling sessions. And during that time, you know, group sessions and whatever, and having all these other people tell, <clears throat> you know, their stories and, you know, things like that. Like at that moment, at a young age, it was like, oh, okay, you know, I can actually like relate. Um, but then that just kind of like died off. Uh, I was like performing at the time. So I know I was like focusing a lot on that. Um, but I was definitely moving around a lot. So it was really hard to kind of like stay a little bit secure. But once I got secure, it was like, Oh shit, like something else <clears throat> is like going on. Um, but it was really just kind of like my friends performing and things like that were really just like my outlet at the time. Um, but yeah, living with my stepdad, he was just evil. And like, 
got me out of, you know, performing and things like that. So I don't know. I can literally write a whole book about how insane my stepdad is. Um, but yeah, but it was really the performing. But once he pulled me out, he moved me to my grandma's house, which is back in Fresno. Um, so then I had to start like a whole new school and things like that. Um, so I, I got into performing over there. Um, and since I was with my grandma, like, I'm not going to lie. Like I kind of just had like a little bit more freedom, you know, yeah. um, to like, just kind of like do things outside of it. But I mean, it was really intense, like that transition of how my stepdad even brought me to my grandmother's house. Um, he actually kidnapped me from school. <laughs> All right. um, Sounds about right and in, in line with this story so far. So go ahead. <laughs> Literally kidnapped me from school and long story short, drove me, basically drove me all the way to my grandma's house without me knowing. Um, and then from there, he like took my phone to, you know, basically any contact I had with my friends. Like once I finally, after months and months, got in contact with my friends, they basically thought, you know, I wasn't even alive anymore. Like, it was just, like, he just wanted to kind of, like, get rid of me. So I really had to kind of revert my life <laughs> once I got to my grandma's house. So, yeah, it was hard. I don't know. Um, just support and performing, honestly. I mean, and it was high school. So, I mean, oof, yeah, it was rough. Not easy, but did it. No, definitely not. But you know what? Throughout all of that, you you made it. You know what I mean. You survived, and, and you're still here. And and I'm happy that you are, and I'm thankful that you are because that's heavy shit, man. And that and th that story will can break the average person, like you said. You know, not your average bear. You know, and here you are taking it on the chin and being victimized and and harassed and bullied and having your performing stifled by someone who's supposed to be in a place where they take care of you and they love you. I'm a stepfather. I love this little girl. There's nothing I wouldn't do for her. My, I beam rays of sunlight through my eyes when I see her accomplish something or do something great. And I make sure she feels that and she understands that. So, so to have someone so on the opposite side, making sure that you don't feel that, I don't know how you did that. Oh, yeah. It was really intense. And I mean, he was the, my stepdad was the type of controlling that... Um, you know, he would make you sign contracts. <clears throat> so he made me sign contracts that were just filled out. And it would be like, you know, you have to do this and that and this and that. And if you don't complete this and that and this and that, these are your consequences. And I would have to sit with him in the kitchen and like literally go over everything. And I would literally have to sign it. And if it was one thing that I wasn't able to accomplish, whatever those consequences are, like that's what would happen. So having that like you know, I remember one of the things that was on there was like, oh, pass your chemistry exam. And if you don't pass your chemistry exam, we're going to take you out of performing. And it's like, oh, OK. And I mean, like big consequences, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I went to school, did the chemistry exam, which was terrible because I found out that morning <laughs> my boyfriend that I was with at the time cheated on me. So I found that out Oof. in the morning to go take my chemistry exam. And I'm not the best with science or even math. So I absolutely failed it. And then long story short, I ended up being pulled out of performing. And in performing, I mean, I was like captain, lead, like this was like a big deal. Like I had, even my coaches were like trying to sit down and talk with my stepdad, just the kind of reason um, to get me back on the teams and everything. And it was just like, this is just who he is, <laughs> you know? So it was like my close friends knew like how he was and like, really just kind of like how evil but it was just you know i can't do anything about it um so yeah that was really hard 
really hard shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I can only imagine. And we, and I've heard, and I've heard multiple stories like that, you know, and that's why, you know, none of us can go back and change it. But what we can do is control what we do and what we put out and what we put out as we go forward and build the future for our children, you know, and that's why I'm never going to mistreat this little girl. You know, she's precious to me. She has whatever happened between her parents and everything and all that has nothing to do with her. She's a beautiful girl. She has a dad. I get along with him. I mean, aces, you know what I mean? And that's not common people, you know, because men have that bravado and that much. Oh, you know, but I don't have that because. I know that he and I have the same goal, and that's to make sure that she's protected, that she grows up healthy and safe, and that we push her towards success, you know? So it's just, you know, I'm an emo guy. I need love. I need I need affection. So in that position, I don't know if I could have been able to handle that. You know, And that's uh, there's people that break under a lot less. Yeah, it was definitely, like, a lot of internalized stuff going on, especially, like, you know, self-identity and trying to, like, figure out who I am. You know, and I was also like the alternative, like black girl, like listening to rock music, things like that. So, you know, just kind of dealing with that and quote, quote, out of my element um, or whatever. That was just, you know, definitely an eye opener for me. Um, But also when I was younger, I used to have like a or I still have them, actually, like my old diaries and things like that. So that's definitely one thing that was super helping me was just writing um, throughout everything. Um, and, you know, I do have plans on writing my own book about my life and things like that. Um, but it is just crazy because I do have like my old journals <laughs> from like elementary school, like all throughout wow. the years. So it's really about like going back and like reading them and like putting myself back in that situation. Right. But well, I really need to be in the right space, exactly the headspace to even like, you know, start that. So it's like, you know, let me just get my school and everything done so I can like deal with that and cry in a corner like for two weeks. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, more safety, um, like safe type of net with that type of stuff. I remember reading one page and I was just like, oh my God, like I was just so, you know, I just wanted to be loved really. Um, and it's just like, so sad because I just, you know, just throughout life, you know, dealing with abandonment and just, you know, confusion, like especially being adopted, I don't know, you know, my birth parents and like, you know, especially being like African-American and like that whole thing and like, you know, just growing up and still just trying to figure out my identity and, you know, figuring about history and things like that. Like it really is kind of like a backwards way of like living my life. Um, But it's, so freaking weird because now I just wouldn't change it. Um, it was tough and hard, but like, wow, you know, I mean, I definitely learned a lot along the way, but it's not for the common person. Um, cause I shouldn't be alive right now. Like there shouldn't, like, I mean, (laughs) there shouldn't be way that things happen. Like there's only in the real world in that sense, like only one way to kind of go down. Um, so it's really hard, like really to kind of pinpoint like that optimism and like hope um, and things like that. But, you know, without a doubt, like I definitely have it in me somewhere and like, thank goodness, because now it's just like, holy shit, you know, the things I'm like manifesting is pretty unreal. But, you know, age 14 and things like that, like I can't even believe I was like, OK, just one more day, <laughs> you know, right, like yeah. honestly, when I look back, it's just. It's just very admirable because um, those are some super, super, super dark times. 
Yeah, yeah, very dark. It sounds like it, you know, and again, I'm just, I'm glad you made it through, you know, and you're very vocal about mental health on social media, which I fucking love because so many people are not, and I don't understand why, but you're very vocal about it. And, you know, you recently just left a position because it was detrimental to your mental health. So tell me a little bit about that, you know, as much as you want, you know, again, I'm not asking you to, you know, <laughs> get name, names and give me addresses. I'm just saying, you know, let me know, you know, what was going on that, that you decided, hey, I've been through this shit before. I'm not fucking taking it no more. Yeah. Um, I mean, the previous job that I had, it was a little bit more freedom, a little bit more open space, something that, you know, I was definitely really passionate about um, when I was working for Facebook Oculus and I was able to work with um, virtual reality. I was training people. I was traveling around. I was like with technology and video games all the time. So it was very easy for me to just kind of like melt into work in that way. Um, and then when I ended with that, I kind of had to get another job that obviously just kind of paid the bills, but then it just turned into a nine to five and it's just like a completely different <laughs> way of like working. Yeah. Um, especially for a creative space. Exactly. So in a way it was like, I was kind of like, you know, trying to prove to myself, okay, like it's not that bad. Like finally I have like some type of stability and things like that. Um, and then long story short, when the pandemic hit, I mean, there was a bunch of people that were leaving the job. Um, we had a bunch of clients that were leaving. Um, so the majority of the employees that were being let go, who got paid more money, actually got commissioned for some of the things that they were doing, actually got put down on us as quote unquote small projects with no extra money um, or things like that. So really just kind of like flooded situations. Um and then there was other things, you know, going across different campuses because we have, you know, other campuses in different locations. And it's just, I don't know, there's just such a disconnect of like, ugh, like connection. And like, mm-hmm. it was really kind of like do this, do that with like no rewards, like in a way of just like, you're kind of just like being slaved out, you know? And yeah. it's just like, I don't know, like for me, it's just like, I have like, a lot more pride in myself given like, you know, the experiences that I have and things like that. So, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to sit here and say, Oh my God, the pandemic, like, what is she doing? Like, how did she leave like a full-time job, salary, you know, medical benefits, things like that. Um, I'm a person that really prides themselves with like their worth ethic and their energy. Um, I feel deep down not to sound like super narcissistic, but I really <laughs> no, do. No, you're good. We, we got you. We hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's like, I feel like I have like really good ideas, you know what I mean? So it's just, I feel if I'm working somewhere where I feel they don't deserve that, they don't deserve my energy or my thoughts or, you know, anything, because I'm really not getting anything in return. um, I don't want to do it. I just don't. And so the scary part about this one was like, okay, every day I'm waking up and it's just like, I'm, you know, I'm, it's torture. Like it's just mental torture. And it's just like every minute's just kind of dragging out. You're doing projects that like basically don't elevate you. I'm not climbing ladders. It's just kind of like, okay, like wake up. And you know, it's just yes. like have this meeting and it's like, okay, well, we're not really, going forward like what's this meeting about you know and it's just I don't know it's just kind of like I don't want to like waste my time because I just feel like there's so many other things that I could be doing you know um so I understand this job like pays my bills but it was really just that conversation of like okay because normally for me it's like if I feel this way in a job it's like 
I'll just leave or find another job and then leave, you know, do the smart thing. Um, but, you know, given the pandemic, it was just hard even trying to find anything. So I was out there applying. I even had like a, um, a job interview for Google that literally lasted like three months. Um, so that was really and I didn't end up getting that. Um, and then everything that I was applying for, I was getting rejection letter after rejection letter. And I'm just like, okay, like this doesn't feel good. I'm just going to cry. So that mixed with like all this insane responsibility from a job that like is just not deserving of my time. Um, I just had to do something about it. So in the beginning, it was going to be like a three week um, mental health break, you know, with the intention, I guess, of coming back to work. Like, right. Like, oh, I kind of want to leave, but sure, I'll do the responsible thing and go back to work so I can, like, still get paid and things like that. Um, but basically, when I did that, the whole three weeks was, like, I was being hounded by phone, email. Um, you know, I was being told I had to open up certain claims that I didn't necessarily feel comfortable with. It was just, like, during this process, they weren't giving me any space, which actually made this entire situation even worse. Mm-hmm. Um I was trying to tell my manager because I basically got vocal approval, um, but they wanted everything in writing. But it was just like, if you guys even understood what I was going through, like, I just, you know, weird process for me. But I'm not going to lie. The whole time I was just being hounded. Um, And it was just really terrible. So I want to say like a week after that three weeks, I just, you know, wrote the letter and I was like, you know what? I just can't. And I had to have a long conversation with my husband and, you know, definitely he's on my side. So as far as like support and money and pay bills and stuff like that, I, luckily I'm supported in that way. Um, so I don't really have to worry about, you know, my bills not being taken care of or me not being able to eat. Um, so I don't really have to stress about that, but it's still just kind of like the first time ever where I don't have a plan B when it comes to work. So I'm kind of just like, you know, my side hustles, you know, my art, I have sugar gamers where I'm like, you know, writing articles and, you know, things like that. So definitely the side money's there, but, you know, (laughs) I'm still working on the job job thing. But at the same time, it was like, you know what, I have to be a big girl because I feel if I do this, the poison's out and then we'll just, you know, start from square one. Like, I'm not lazy. I know how to hustle. I know how to grind. Like, it's fine probably going to be a lot more work than, you know, I anticipated, but it's not impossible. And that's the thing. And I would rather sacrifice and go that way versus waking up every freaking morning wanting to literally tear my skin off because I'm absolutely so unhappy. Like it got me unhappy to the point where I had to, I was being put on antidepressants, which actually made me worse. Um, Uh, Same, same. Fuck you, antidepressants. I understand that like, okay, you have to take antidepressants and your body has to get used to it and yada, yada, yada. But I really needed it for like my anxiety and I'm in school. So at the time it was happening, it completely just spiraled me into like the most insane black hole ever. Like, you know, I wanted to kill myself. Like I thought my marriage was over, like all of these things. Um, But it was also during the time, you know, when I'm going through sobriety and there's just like so many things and it's just like this needs to like this needs to calm down like I get milestones but at the same time like oh my like I'm only human you know so I was really just like getting beaten down by a lot of things but once I made that call to my job return my computer things like that I didn't hear a single thing from my manager nothing so I'm just a number I guess 
but I'm glad I made the right choice. And I've been talking to one of my other employees um, who still works there and she's just like melting, you know? Um, So I do feel bad for her and, you know, it's not easy for just someone to be like, Hey, let's just, you know, give it up. Um, But the only way to do that, you really just have to take some kind of leap. And that's what I did. And I just, I made it across just like the matrix when Neo's like jumping, you know, all the way over. Um, It just happened to be on the first try. I freaking made it, you know, and it's like, whoa. Um, So honestly, I just, I really do not have any regrets. Um, The only thing I feel like I can recommend to people, it's like, you know, mental health versus over anything like jobs and stuff like that. Like, let's keep it real. They don't, especially big corporations like that. They don't care for you like that. Sadly, like they just don't. So you really have to kind of like listen to your heart, your mind and things like that. And like, you know, there's always a way like there always has to be some type of support somewhere. But you really do have to like kind of, you know, put your ego aside and like maybe ask for a little help sometimes. And, you know, in the pandemic, it's hard for everybody. So I don't want to say I'm sitting here as like a special case, but I'm definitely sitting here as a special case that actually did something about it, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely no regrets. Probably one of the hardest things I've done in like a really long time, but you know, I'm not saying it's easy now. I don't have like a six figure job. I don't even have any job right now. So I'm trying to take it day by day and not overthink it. Um, but it's hard, but you know, if I had to scale it, I'm a lot more happier knowing that I did something um, for myself that was so important. And I face fear. And here I am still roof over my head, cat fed, like, you know, so, (laughs) you know, I really can't. Yeah, how that's fucking awesome, man. And I'm proud of you for doing that, you know. So tell me a little bit about the tech industry because, you know, unfortunately, we live in a world where things like skin color, gender, these now set you apart from other applicants right now you're oh well now she's this or or now it's a she like it's a bum out but that's the way that it is i don't know why that is but it is have did you experience any of that you know as you were coming up and where it was just blatantly like what the fuck dude um not necessarily which is actually really weird um because you would think, because, yeah, I am, like, a woman of color, things like that. I mean, I've had situations, like, coming up, like, in the industry. Um, I want to say mostly, like, recently things that are just a bit more memorable. I don't want to say that I have. Um, I mean, as far as, like, getting the, you know, the denying emails <laughs> from companies, um you know, I'm just going to take it as is, you know, just kind of like, okay, maybe my skills just didn't match or things like that. Um, I try to not, you know, think of it otherwise, just Mm -hmm. because I don't think I honestly, I personally don't think I've ever had to. Um, Or maybe some things have been like that. But it's just I don't want to say it's gone over my head, but it's never had to resort. Um, I mean, I've been in situations like, you know, when I've worked for Apple, you know, being on the floor and like a customer trying to ask me something and I'm like responding to it and they just kind of don't believe my answer and like ask for the manager, like, you know, things like that. Or You know, they'll try to purposely use big words as if like, you know, you don't understand them. Um, So little things like that, but I don't think personally um, I have 
ever really had anything that's memorable that is, you know, related to sexism, um, racism. I mean, you know, in the industry, I'm definitely not going to deny that that hasn't happened. Oh, yeah. I, definitely I think every industry. You know, where that has happened on a bigger scale. Um, it's just, I don't know. My mindset is really, you know, just kind of tunnel vision on what it is. Like, I feel like I can take, you know, criticism and things like that pretty well in the sense of like, you know, I'm still going, it might be hard times, but you know, there's never let me, there's never been anything that's like, let me down. Um, I feel in the wake of, you know, black lives matter and things like that, um, you know, more eyes might be on, you know, the whole range of people of color and things like that. So in a way, sure, maybe that could be a little bit more positive in a, you know, the range of however you're going to look at that statement. Um, whether you're educating or, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, honestly, I, I mean, if I ever get in that situation, I think now I definitely would probably know how to handle myself a lot more than the early years, just because I am more confident, um, you know, learning more about who I am, identity, things like that. Um, and then just really kind of just stepping in charge of like the experiences that I have with technology. I mean, that's never going to change. I'm always, you know, thinking about, you know, the future and things like that. So the conversations are always there. So I'm not going to lie. Maybe people don't even get a moment to <laughs> discredit, to be honest, because <laughs> out there, you know, spewing like something, um, but yeah, you know, I'm not going to say my time isn't coming. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to be moving to a different country. Uh, I want to say what in October. So I'm moving to England. So just kind of, you know, not saying, you know, this and that, but just, you know, the unknown of having a new country and, you know, I'm kind of used to America and American ways, but you know, you just never know of like what you're going to run into, but either way, I'm definitely super confident, but, um, I feel as far as like diversity and inclusion inside of industries, tech industries in general, can they get a little bit better? Oh, absolutely. Um, but that's definitely, you know, more questions and conversations need to be answered and asked in that way. Right. So. Of course, a hundred percent. And so, you know, hearing your story, I mean, it, it was traumatic, you know, and I, and so, and I've, I've heard so many other similar stories and I myself went through divorce and then, you know, sexual abuse at a young age. And I was a combat yeah. vet three tours and back. I mean, it fucks you up to this day. I'm all kinds of fucked up. And one of the ways that we deal with it as a, as a society is to drink our problems away, thinking that that's a resolution. And you yourself just celebrated 10 months sober. Congratulations. What brought that on? Was that by design, by necessity, or what, what made you just decide to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to lay off the sauce? Um, to be honest, it's actually pretty crazy because even living here in the Bay, I mean, you know, I'm not shy of like the party lifestyle here. I grew up in it. Um, you know, I loved alcohol like all the time. Um, but you know, once I got married in 2019 to my husband, he's not like the biggest drinker. Um, but you know, I was definitely drinking like morning, basically morning, lunch, dinner, work, sometimes in training. I mean, it was pretty disgusting, but that was just wow. like, you know, basically convinced myself that I was a, um, 
like a functional alcoholic, which, you know, somebody can like take that term and, you know, do whatever. But, you know, me drinking all of that, like I really did feel like I was an absolute functioning alcoholic. Um, But when I met my husband and just, you know, still trying to like do that behavior and things like that, um, you know, it's not the most pleasant (laughs) to look at. Um, And then I want to say during the pandemic and, you know, everything that was going on with that, it was just, it was just hard just kind of living life in a foreclosed room or, you know, for a four wall space, you know, shelter in place, can't go outside. So literally our whole life is like changing. Um, And my husband came to visit for a couple of months and then, you know, we were dealing with some drama at the house and whatever, and just things are just escalating. And, you know, I'm just drinking more and more and more. Um, I was getting like the medical issues where it was just making me want to urinate more and more. So that was kind of like a eye opener for me. Like, okay, it's not just a drinking, like now my body is actually like doing something in reflection of how much I'm drinking. Um, and then my attitudes were just getting more angry. Like I'm, I'm honestly normally not like an angry person, but I was just so quick to, you know, not be patient and just, have a situation, you know, debate me. (laughs) Um, It's like, oh my God, you know, so I definitely had to have one of those really long talks um, with my husband and it just kind of like, I don't want to say it was like an ultimatum, but it was just more of like, okay, if I'm going to, you know, continue this behavior, it's just not going to be a good thing, like in my marriage. And eventually it can cause my husband to walk away possibly, you know? And it was just like, I didn't want to necessarily, you know, I blamed enough things on alcohol and I, you know, I don't think I would ever forgave myself if I failed at being married, especially to someone I love. And, you know, it was just like, this is too much of a good thing. Like you should need to chill, you know? Um, But then my husband got sent back to um, England because, you know, visas and things like that. I was really here by myself. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to tell you how I did it, but I did. I mean, was it probably one of the hardest things I've ever done? Absolutely. Um, I like to say I'm more like a silent, crazy person. I do a lot of things like behind closed doors. Um, so people don't necessarily know like the extent of like my manic depression and like how deep my anxiety and my loneliness and, you know, all this stuff can go. Um, so when I was not drinking, I was definitely having to deal with a lot of things above the surface. Um, Cause normally when bad things happen, I'll just say, let's go get a drink. Why? Cause it's cheap. I can just go down the street, like less than $2. Like it's fine, you know? Um, but this time it was like, okay, shit, I can't do that. You know, like, I'm not going to lie. Like I definitely smoke things like that. Like to me, that's not the problem. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Alcohol. So for me, just taking all that day by day and still, you know, dealing with like a job that I was just so unhappy with. It was like all these layers. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, you know, I need to do something. So, I mean, the only way that and I mean, and it was completely cold turkey. Um, but the only way that I can honestly recommend anyone to do that, because I don't even recommend all the time to even go cold turkey, because honestly, depending on how much you drink, like that can really be, you know, yeah. I'm not a doctor. That can really be kind of like a medical issue. Like if you cut cold turkey and might not have a drink in between, like that can be a disservice, you know, mm-hmm. but for me, it was just happened to be, I don't know. I just worked my way through it. So this is definitely just my personal experience. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, you know, every day was happening, you know, and then it would be kind of in trend where some days were great and then some other days just weren't. Um, but I'm not gonna lie, I had a lot of support, um, a lot of video games, a lot of writing. I put myself, I started school just to have something to like focus on. So I'm doing like creative writing. Um, I also have my art. So really, just kind of, and I have like an addictive personality too. So really just like putting my focus in something that wasn't alcohol um, was the benefit. So I started drinking like a lot. At first, I started drinking like a lot of bang, like the bang energy because it yeah. has like a bunch. And I'm not a sugar person. I'm a savory girl, I swear. It's a 2% sugar. So the fact that I was drinking all the sugar, like sour gummy worms, things like that, I'm just like going crazy, like an episode of Rugrats, just like, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and then it was like, okay, you know, I get it, but this is fine. Like, I would rather do this than, you know, drink a bunch of alcohol. And now that intake, or intake is kind of slowed down. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, the cravings are gone. Like I can actually be around friends who, you know, pull out alcohol and can drink. Like it's not, you, you know, I don't have that FOMO of like, oh my God, you know, um, I definitely think it, but now it's just more of like, oh, I used to be this way and I'm not, but now I'm just, you know, drinking more water and things. So unless you have like a really strong mind to kind of just go through it, it's the only way that I can recommend of like, you know, kind of just doing it yourself, I guess. Um, but if you don't have that and if you can't handle being by yourself and, you know, if you can't find things for escapism and, you know, you really have to just kind of know yourself. I'm, you know, I can be in front of a group of people. It's fine. But I'm also just a super homebody, play video games like I'm chill, like give me reality TV, my cat, like, OK, like I'm fine, really. <laughs> But not everyone can do that. So it's really just like holding up that black mirror to yourself. And if you're really comfortable with hanging out with yourself, even when it's bad. And I love hanging out with myself. So I'm okay. Um, but that's not everyone. So this process definitely super, super hard. But I mean, 10 months sober, I, I, I would have never... I thought I was going to be drinking alcohol literally for the rest of my life. I didn't even think I can have a baby. I understand like, oh, yeah, you're not supposed to drink when you're pregnant. But I'm pretty sure the doctor would be like, oh, yeah, one glass of wine. Like, I would absolutely take advantage of that just right. because of alcohol. And I, I couldn't even imagine that. Like, there's no way. Um, so basically, you just had like a sober baby. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 10 months. Um, but I made the decision to not drink anymore um and I feel really good about it so I mean I'm 34 I've partied a lot I've you know done a lot and you know I have stories to tell <laughs> my future children and I'm totally okay with that now it's just kind of like moving on to the next phase like I don't need that anymore um but it's pretty it's pretty rewarding to finally feel that because I feel insanely clear-headed um but being sober in that way is kind of like a new high so it becomes really obsessive because now I'm really obsessed with like drinks, like juice or, you know, just finding like a really cool, like fruity drink or something. Yeah. Now it's just like a whole new world of like, oh, wow, this pineapple juice is mango. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, ugh. so definitely, you know, learning a whole new me. Um, I had my whole thing of like, oh my god, am I still funny? Like, you know, right, how right, much? Right. Like, how much? Yeah, how much of me was in that liquid? 
you know, so that was really just like, I had to, you know, figure it out. Um, but I definitely figured out, you know, my identity and things and realized, yes, I'm still funny, <laughs> but I am insanely creative. Um, and I wouldn't change that for anything. And I'm, and I got back into history and like learning and knowledge and education and writing and reading. And I'm just like, okay, like I miss this girl, you know? So I can't complain. Honestly, it's probably the best decision I've ever made. Um, you know, not everyone is able to have the privilege of kind of like focusing on themselves like that, even in the pandemic. Um, but I feel very grateful that I was for me, at least able to do that more so behind forced closed doors than me just making the decision of staying behind closed doors. It was just easy. Like, Oh, I have to be here. So let's get it instead of like forcing myself to stay inside when I have all my friends begging me to go out. It was just more of like, no, the pandemic, like can't go outside. <laughs> and then I would work on myself. So there's no pressure on putting boundaries and things like that, which, which I definitely feel is important um, when it comes to mental health and especially self-care. You can't get through any of that unless you're putting boundaries up, especially with your closest friends and family. If you need it, that is probably like the key. If I didn't have that and close out the noise for a second and completely recharge myself from the ground up, I don't think it would have worked like at all. So I think that was like the key there for sure. Yeah. Well, congratulations again. I mean, that's a major accomplishment. I just hit 11 years last month and I'm going to tell you this 11 years, 10 months, we're fighting the same battle every day. It, It don't matter. It's one day at a time. It's one day at a time, you know? And so I have to then, what, what else am I going to cling to? Like you said, I got, I've got the same addictive personality. So for me, this podcast, talking to people, hearing their stories, the brand extended family creating is just, it's a piece of me that provides so much more than, than alcohol ever did. So tell me about craft shit. Tell me all about that and how it came to be. Where did the idea come from? Cause a resin box, like dog, I don't even know what to buy for that. I don't even know where to start. Like how you do all your shit and all you like, they're so cool. I don't know how to do any of it. So tell me about that. How did, how it came to be, what it all is and what it does for you. Yeah. Um, when I was, so when my husband was here, like, uh, I want to say like last year or the year before, um, I was like doing MMA media, um, and things like that. And he's an engineer. So he already like knew about resin and things. Um, so in a way he was kind of just like teaching me some stuff. Um, but the, uh, I was writing for middle easy at the time. And basically I was in charge of like the meetups and setting up meetups with like, you know, fans and things like that before the fight. Um, so I wanted to think of certain things for giveaways and whatever else. Um, so I, I don't know, it just two and two came together, um, when he was kind of explaining the resin and I was like, Oh yeah, like maybe I can make keychains, magnets, like something super simple. Um, so I started making, you know, things that were really small, um, things like that, that had middle easy logos in it. Um, so I would give those away at the giveaway. Um, and then from there I would like just practice more with like bigger things like coasters, bigger magnets. Um, and then I started posting on social media and then some people just started hitting me up being like, Oh, well, that's really cool. Can you make, you know, X, Y, and Z? And it's like, Oh yeah, cool. 
And then I would like, you know, make something for them and then post that. And then it would literally be like this domino effect. Um, But throughout, like I would just keep getting these ideas and it's just like, okay, well, what is my limit? Like, I know it's like, okay, I know how to make keychains, but now I'm looking at silicone molds and look at all this other cool stuff. Um, So yeah, when the, when I started making rolling trays, that was probably like the big explosion because hell of people were hitting me up about rolling trays. So (laughs) I guess this is my thing. Um, and then from there, like I just kept getting different silicone molds and things like that and just testing out different techniques. Um, I'm a perfectionist, so I'm just always kind of like doing something. Um, but I do everything by commission based just because it's like no pressure. If someone comes with, you know, to me with an idea, I feel confident enough where I can execute on that idea, no matter what that idea is. Um, and that's just a really comfortable place to be. And I feel like, you know, I've gotten really comfortable with my work and confident with my work that I can usually get things done, you know, kind of in the one go. Um, so I don't have to like redo things. I'll only redo them if I'm like an insane perfectionist. Um, but resin is very expensive. The material is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so in a way, if I'm on a budget, it's like, I, tr- you know, I feel confident enough where I don't have to quote unquote practice things anymore. Right. So it's been pretty consistent. Um, the things that I have been doing, um, with craft shit so far, um, I've been now making things that, you know, have more than one use. Um, so if it's like a rolling trade now, I like convert that into wall art so you can actually put that on your wall. So I'm starting to, you know, make it, make more of an effort to kind of have like a signature. So no matter what you can do with, you know, the things that I'm making, you can be able to put that on your wall and then just, you know, view it for your viewing pleasure. Um, but it's so fun. Like, I love it. Like, honestly, and I've had people hit me up once they got their um, packages. I've had people cry. Um, just super expect, just unexpected. So it definitely feels really, really good. Um, but during the pandemic and things like that, especially the whole alcohol thing, I definitely took a break because um, it was just, you know, whoa, just too much at one time. Right, um, for everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, so out over the past couple of months, I've slowly been starting it back into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel very confident. Um, and then when I move, as I mentioned before, my husband's an engineer. So we have like so many ideas where we're going to start um, partnering together um, and making like some really, really cool custom things. Um, but yeah, no idea is too out there. So I've been, even the stuff that I have in my room, it's kind of like I need, definitely need like a workshop because now it's like, I literally have just like resin pieces everywhere. But sometimes it's just like, yeah, like I just want like a new piece and I'll just make it. And like, you know, I don't have, it's like, I don't need it, but now it's like, oh, okay. Like now I'll just put that on the wall so it can just get off of my desk. And that's like my thing. So, but it's fun. I mean, I don't know a lot of people personally that do resin in my personal life. I mean, they do in general in the world, but not in my personal life. So it just seems very unique. Um, And it's pretty easy once you learn the skills, but you start learning like your really, you know, your personal style and things. Um, Also incorporating MMA into it because obviously, you know, I'm still going to be a part of that world and everything. So I've been, 
I want to say my number one thing that I've made so far are Dustin Poirier rolling trays. <laughs> I swear, every time I post a Dustin Poirier rolling tray, someone hits me up for another. And it's like, you know, not even mad at it. So um, the fact that he <laughs> and Conor McGregor fights in July, let's see how many other <laughs> Dustin Poirier <laughs> trays I'm going to be making. Um, but yeah, it's it's totally fun. No pressure working on a website right now. Um, so, you know, once that's up and, you know, things get a little more serious and I move, um, that's probably when, you know, cause I haven't even had, I, I haven't even advertised for it yet. That's how it's just like, Oh yeah, look what I made. And it's like, you know, people hit me up. So I haven't even like done my full effort in like marketing yet just because I haven't needed to. Um, but that'll be soon. So hopefully starting early next year, it'll be like a whole new, like crash shit like dang what's isha doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we'll, we'll we'll be uh right there behind you you know supporting and waiting to see what comes you know and hearing your story and what you've been through it's so powerful to know that you could have taken a turn wrong and you could have been god knows where but you're not you're here creating art and touching people and bringing tears to their eyes you're doing that you know what i mean that's all you and I'm and I'm here for it, you know. So that's awesome, man. Congratulations! I thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anybody you want to shout out real quick? Maybe the hubs or something like that before we get out of here. Um. Okay. Well, I'll say two things. Well, first, thank you because I feel even on social media like you're so positive, and I feel you know always feeling like inspirational things, and you know sometimes I feel like that is so needed like so much you know and some people just don't even realize like how much someone just needs to hear those words of like you know you're doing a good job just keep going because that really could be like just the hump that someone needs to get over um and for someone like you and me it's just you know things like that are just very like natural you know yeah i'm um, like what we've gone through. So definitely appreciate um, you with that and putting me on the show. Um, also giving a shout out to my husband because Stuart, because obviously he's amazing. You know, things would be very, very hard. Right. <laughs> um, but also want to give a shout out to MMA Twitter in general. Hey. because I see, yeah. yeah, because across the board, I mean, I've definitely, you know, made some friendships, whether I've met them in person or not. Um, but I feel I always have endless support um when it comes to our community um through twitter and the fight game um it's one thing you know watching fights and having us you know all in there at the same time like cracking jokes and things but it's another when you know we're putting up some personal stuff on there and they really respond like you know being the most supportive people ever so in that sense i feel we're very lucky um to have this community so definitely want to give a shout out to that whole community for getting me through um my crazy online personality so <laughs> but other than that yeah that's pretty much it for me awesome man thank you so much for the time again and everybody thank you so much for listening we will see you next time thank you see you next Perfect. time Summertime blues Anything I do It seems I just Can't get through All these bad moods 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, another banger of an episode. We keep lining them up and knocking them down. Make sure to follow our friend Isha at Isha Knows underscore on Twitter and at Isha Knows Craft Shit on IG. Make sure to follow us at Put the Stress Down Podcast on Instagram and PTSD Pod on Twitter. And of course, make sure to check us out at www.extendedfamilyapparel.com. We'll see you soon. Thank you.